Ushers, come forward to receive her offering. Encourage you to give tonight and be faithful in your giving. Appreciate the way you have been giving. Appreciate all of you that are giving toward our building fund and we're excited about all the things going on. Let's pray. Father, bless the offering now. Continue to open our hearts to all you're doing in the service. In Jesus' name, amen.
I want somebody from uh, the three faith teams. Let's see, uh, be Ronnie's team and Mike's team and Eric's team. One of you is from each team. Come up here real quickly. And we're excited about uh, faith on Thursday night. We had, a, we had a wonderful time this past Thursday night. And I want somebody from each one of these teams to come up and tell you uh, what the Lord did on Thursday night. Eric, you come right ahead here. Can you stay over the pulpit here? All right, we'll make sure. <laughs> Amen. Y'all bear with me. I'm not used to getting up in front of people and doing this. It makes me a little nervous. But uh, a year ago, when, when Terry had asked me to be on his faith team, I would have to be honest with you and say that I really didn't want to do it. And it wasn't because I didn't want to serve the Lord, the one who saved me by his grace and mercy. But it was because of fears. It was because of my own fear. It was because of the fear that I was, I have a hard enough time striking up a conversation with someone about everyday topics, much less on a spiritual realm that their soul depends on it. And I put a lot of pressure on myself that I, it was something in me had to convince that person that they needed salvation, which that was not my position. My position was to carry it. It's the Holy Spirit that pricks the heart and convicts the heart that a soul needs salvation. We're just mere vessels that carry it to the door. And the door, and he, the Holy Spirit is the only one that can go in that door and convict that heart. But and I'm so thankful, and I praise the Lord that He's allowed me to be in faith because it's helped me grow spiritually as a person. My relationship with Jesus Christ has grown close. And I just want to share one more thing with you. This last Thursday, me, Tracy, and Ashley went out on visitation, and uh, we have we have these folders, and we have three or four different prospects in there. We went and visited two of them. One was home, one went really well. Our next one was way out on Dayton Boulevard. So we were driving down the road, and Tracy asked me, he said, do you think we'll have enough time to go on Dayton Boulevard? I said, yes, sure, I think, we think we'll have enough time. Well, we got around about the Ross Boulevard exit, and I said, yeah, you know what, you're right, because Tracy wanted to try out some opinion polls. I'd been telling him about them. The opinion polls have a series of questions on them. You go and ask, uh, we're just doing a poll to see how our church can better serve our community. And so we decided to do it, and Tracy's, Tracy's gung-ho, he's fired up and ready to go, and he wanted to ask the questions. So we let, we let him ask the questions. He said, let me ask the questions, and I'll turn it over to you. So he asked the questions, and the last question is, in your personal opinion, what do you understand it takes for a person to go to heaven? And she said, well, I guess you just have to live right. So Tracy said, well, we would like to share with you how the Bible answers that question, is that, if that's all right with you. So I sat down beside this young lady, older lady, on her front porch, <laughs> on, her, on her front porch on a swing, and I began to go through the gospel presentation with her. And, and she, she was glued to me, her eye contact, never took her eyes off to me, holding on to every word I was saying. And I, we got to the end, and I said, understanding what I've just shared with you, would you like to receive this forgiveness? She hit, still had some hesitance in her voice. She said, well, how do you know for sure? And Tracy at this time, he, he was holding back as much as he could. He couldn't hold back anymore. He jumped right in there and, and gave her assurance that if she asked and believed in her heart that Jesus Christ and God had raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. So Gertrude, at 75 years old, sitting on that front porch, accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. And, and it was by no accident that we had run out of time that night and ended up on the porch of 
Gertrude. Gertrude had a divine appointment with Christ, and there was nothing that was going to stop it. Let's give the Lord the glory and the praise. Amen. All I know is it's good to be in the Lord's house again. Amen. Amen. I tell you what, I'm, I'm just shaking. I mean, it's so good. I don't know, I don't know how y'all feeling, but I know I'm feeling good tonight. But I tell you, I remember when Ronnie came up to me and he asked me if I wanted to be in faith, and I said, whatever the Lord has for me, I'm going to do it. And I just turned it over, and at work, I've been sitting here reading over my journals and over the book and everything, and the ladies that I work with, they're sitting there, and they'll come over and look over and see what I'm doing. And they'll ask me questions about it, and I get to share my faith with them. You know, I'm kind of stepping ahead. I hope y'all don't mind, but, you know, I just want to share with them. But I remember Thursday night, we got in the van. And before this, uh, Tracy had come up to our Sunday school class and asked prayer for a certain young man. And uh, his name is Casey. And he, he's been had him on his heart to pray for him. And... We had been praying about it, and that's the first thing we prayed about in Sunday school that Sunday. And then Thursday rolled around. We got our notebooks and everything, and we started out. The first person who was in our notebook was Casey. Now, don't tell me that wasn't God. Because, see, we, me and Carrie, we were sitting there we're like, okay, Lord, just whatever you want to do. And then Ronnie had this big old smile on his face. And the first thing it was was Casey was on our first to go visit. So we went by his house and everything and we were just sitting there and I kind of felt like George McChicken. Y'all probably don't know what I'm talking about, but the other ones do. But I was like, Lord, don't let me say nothing stupid. Lord, don't let me mess up, please. But the only thing that I could do was say, Lord, you know what needs to be done. And the only thing that I could tell you about the experience of leading somebody to the Lord is when Casey, when we were talking to Casey, it's just like his face was a sponge just taking up everything that we could say. And the best thing about it is he bowed his head that night, our very first visit, and asked the Lord to come into his heart and life. And he's here tonight. That's the best part about it. He said that he would do whatever it takes. Amen. I'm excited about it. Amen. And I tell you, I told him, I told him it was just like me getting saved again. I'm ready to go out and do it again. Here we go. Let's, you know, but the Lord is good. No matter what he does, the Lord is good. Amen. Amen. Is Casey here tonight? Right here's Casey. Casey, stand. This is a young man who got saved Thursday night. We're glad you got saved, Casey. <laughs> I was looking for our couple. Mike, are they back tonight? Okay, we're here this morning. We went to visit a couple Thursday night. I went with Mike and Rhonda, and I uh, can't think of the other fellow's name. There's four of us, but... Uh, the young lady invited us in, and as soon as she realized we was from church, she said, wait just a minute. She went and got her husband and invited us in and uh, let us go through the whole uh, um, presentation of the gospel, and uh, her husband accepted Christ, and they were here this morning in Sunday school. And we were wondering about why, what happened to Mike's arms back there. You know, two days earlier, he was supposed to go to uh, Japan and on a mission trip, but he took us right, he didn't know where we are going. Mike, going with him is like going swimming. You just jump in anywhere you kind of get a notion at. And he gets some apartments in his mind. He said, let's just go there. And we parked right in front of this young lady's apartment, and they let us right in, and it was just a blessing. And we know now why the Lord was keeping him here. It's good.
about that land beyond the blue of a place that Jesus promised that he'd fix for me and I heard a lot of people talk about that land to be though I made a little list of things I especially Oh. 
Let's all stand tonight as the choir comes down. Let's get out, shake hands with everyone around. Make yourself friendly tonight. Make sure you find those you don't know. Let them know you're glad they're here tonight.
Now, you know how we do this around here if you've been here very much. We're going to ask you now to sit down. You keep shaking hands if you want to. We're going to sing glory, 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 somebody touch me, and we're going to find out what day of the week. You know what day of the week it was you got saved on and stand up on that day. Keep standing with us. If you don't remember, but you know you're saved, stand with us on Sunday. All right, glory, glory. Ready? Glory, 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 somebody touch me. Glory, 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 somebody touch me. Glory, 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 somebody touch me. Must have been the hand of the Lord. It was on a Monday. It was on a Monday. Somebody touch me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touch me. It was on a Monday. Somebody touch me. Must be the hand of the Lord on a Tuesday now. It was on a Tuesday. Somebody touch me. It was on a Tuesday. I remember when I got saved. Uh, I was up here at uh, used to be Hamill Road Baptist Church up here, and they were having a uh, Easter service, and uh, they had them flames, you know, that they just paper cut out, and it and uh, had the wind blowing on them, you know, it made the flames dance up and down. Well, I just know that that was a real thing down there, you know. I was about 13 years old, wasn't old enough to know no better, I don't guess, but that was the greatest day of my life. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I'm glad I did too. <laughs> but the Lord's been extra good to me, and, uh, and he's given me a great family, and he's given me a great church to worship in. And uh, 
Anyhow, the name of this song is I Surrender All. Well, the greatest day in our life, part of being saved, is when we give it all to the Lord. Amen. John, are you glad to be saved today? Amen. I tell you, we ought to be glad we're saved. Amen. Good to have Johnny here. Johnny, he's running for state representative next year. I'd like to get a state representative up there in Nashville, let loose a war hoop like that, wouldn't you? Amen. That's what we need up there. Amen. Good to have the Thompsons here tonight. Always a joy to have them visiting with us and appreciate them being in the service tonight. Now, I realize it is hot in here, and unfortunately, we have a unit that is down, and we've never had a summer in which we've had so many problems with air conditioners breaking down, and they always break down on Saturday night. And so it's not a matter we neglect them and whatever there. So uh, we'll have it taken care of tomorrow, and you can be certain of that. So we apologize. It is a little bit uncomfortable. Then you appreciate the message this morning from the Word of God. What a blessing that was. I appreciate Brother Dana. Thank God for it. 
Now, the Dana pastored up in my area where I'm from for a number of years. In fact, his wife is here. We went to school together. Esther, would you stand? Let's welcome Esther here, and good to have her in the service. And uh, pastor for a number of years. You were there, what, 15, 16 years? Uh, 18 years. And then the Lord put him in full-time evangelism. As I mentioned this morning, he's been in our Bible conference as the main preacher each morning. But to many of you that cannot make the morning service never had the opportunity of hearing him. So we wanted him to be here on a Sunday where you could get to know him. Let's welcome him back to the services again. Chapter number 18. Certainly has been a thrill to be with you today. And I do am glad that my wife was able to be here. You know, they say in the Middle East that oftentimes you'll see a woman and a donkey tied up together. For real. My wife said it wasn't so unusual in America either. <laughs> That'll dawn on you in a minute. <laughs> yeah. First Samuel chapter number 18. Certainly do appreciate the uh, privilege of being here and uh, preacher and his wife taking us out for a meal today. I tell you, since I've went into evangelism, I've just bloated, I guess. <laughs> I'm trying to turn into a big preacher. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I've changed denominations. I'm now a free meal Baptist. <laughs> I went to the doctor the other day and, you know, they have those charts that tell you how much you're supposed to weigh according to your height. And according to those charts, I'm supposed to be six foot four. <laughs> so I got a lot of growing to do anyway. But uh, we certainly have appreciated all the kind remarks this morning concerning the message. Even if you were lying, it feels good anyhow. <laughs> I was in a meeting uh, here a while back and there was a young boy there that had, was born a Down syndrome. He came up to me after the service, and he said, you scared me. I said, did I? His name was Bubba. I said, did I, Bubba? He said, yeah, my ear hurts, and I got a headache. <laughs> I said, well, there's probably several others that feel that way. They just don't have nerve enough to tell me. <laughs> but uh, we certainly appreciate the whole day. It's been uh, a great blessing. All right, look, we're going to read, uh, as I say, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter number 18, the first three verses uh, to begin with. I want to preach for a few moments tonight on uh, this subject, learning to lean. And I want to say it is a giant step. And we're going to be looking at those transition years that I mentioned a couple of times this morning in David's life, from the time that he slew Goliath until the time that he took the throne. And it's in those transition years that it seems as though that the Lord put uh, some important people in his life and uh, then turned around and took these important people out of his life. And that's why I say that David during these year, years had to learn to lean and it is a giant step. Now, there's simply three thoughts that we're going to look at tonight. We're going to look at what I call the leaning props. And we're going to look at three men, three positive men or groups of men, one of them that the Lord placed in his life. Then we're going to look at the leaning pains and how sometimes God takes the props away. 
And then we'll look at the leaning principles, why God works as he does in this area of learning to lean. Now I want you to notice with me, first of all, the leaning props in David's life, those special people that God put in David's life to help him during those tender years as he was uh, raising him up or growing him to the place that he could become king. Look at verse 1, 2, and 3. Here is the first prop in David's life. And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would let him go no more home to his father's house. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Now, Jonathan is the first great prop that is put in David's life. I call Jonathan a friendly prop for companionship, someone that David could go to in times that seemed to be harsh and hard. When he was facing a real struggle, even with Jonathan's father, and he needed somebody, he could always make his way to Jonathan, this friendly prop in his life. We might even go as far as to say that he's almost a family prop because he is so close to David, he's actually closer to him than his own friends and his own family. As I thought about uh, Jonathan in David's life, I thought about my own life. And I mentioned this morning how I was raised. I heard a fellow in a service here a while back as he stood and testified gloriously about a godly mama and daddy that raised him and taught him and prayed for him and his father was a preacher and uh, he was just praising God for all of the benefits that came with that and I rejoiced with him but at the same time in my own heart I, I realized that I had none of that totally None of that. I did not have the influences. I did not have the prayers. I did not have any of that. But while I was thinking along that line, the Lord said to me, Son, that's all right. You may not have had a godly heritage, but you've been adopted into my family. And being adopted into the family of God, I feel just as welcome as a part of his family as any person that is here tonight because I've been put into the family of God. And being put into the family of God, of course, the Lord has introduced me to many of his children, of whom I have found to be great props in my life along life's journey. And it seems as though that I am closer to you, to the family of God, than I am to my own physical family. Now, if you have a physical family that knows the Lord, that's just a double blessing. But you realize that if your physical family doesn't know the Lord, and you do, there comes a time when the ways have to part as you go with Jesus. And uh, you find there is strength. Thank God for God's people. Thank God for his house, for his church, where we can come together and benefit from each other's uh, gifts that God has given them, whether it is singing or whether it is preaching or whatever it may be, the great consolation, the great companionship, the great strength that we find among the Christian family. And so David has a prop here that God 
puts in his life early on during these transition periods, and he is a prop of companionship by the name of Jonathan. Now, I want to move a step further and point out another prop in David's life. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 19 and verse 18. David is running from Saul. The Bible said, So David fled and escaped and came to Samuel to Ramah and told him all that Saul had done unto him. And he and Samuel went and dwelt in Naoth. Now here's another great prop in David's life, Samuel. I call Samuel a saintly prop for counsel. When David is running from Saul and he needs someone to instruct him, someone to guide him, he goes to the old prophet that a few years before poured the oil upon his head and anointed him to be king in Israel because he knew by approaching this old prophet that he would be able to get some instruction, some spiritual help that he could not find anywhere else. And though he is a very young man, he finds that there is great counsel and great wisdom in this very old man. You know, a lot of times we hear about what is called the generation gap, that somehow the young can't hardly connect to the old. Well, I don't think that's true in the Word of God. I don't think it's true in the family of God. David is a young man, probably in his early 20s. And Samuel is an old man, probably in his 80s. But when they get together, they come together, and they begin to, I'll tell you, have some, they have something in common. They have a basis, and that is that they both know the Lord. And so they have great uh, fellowship together and David can lean on this old prophet to help him and to counsel him. I want to say to you, I thank God not only for those among the people of God and the family of God that are my companions, uh, the, the, uh, those such as Jonathan, but I thank God for those such as Samuel, those who have blazed the trail. It may be a uh, an older preacher, it may be a great mama or a daddy that loved the Lord, that planted the seed in your life. It may have been a Sunday school teacher of some sort, somebody that instructed you and was a spiritual blessing that you can think of tonight that uh, helped you grow in the Lord. And when you get together, I've noticed in a service, when the Lord begins to move, it doesn't make any difference if you're 18 or 80. It does the same thing to you because you're entering into the Spirit of God. And so David goes to Saul and finds him uh, one that he could rest in, a saintly uh, man of God for counsel. And thank God for all of those who have blazed the trail before us and left an impact upon our lives that we will never get over. And I could name many of them tonight of the elderly family that have blessed me so much. I can remember an old preacher from the hills of West Virginia came to the area in which I got saved. And uh, I tell you, he was one of those mountain preachers. He was what was called a hacker. You may have heard some of them. But he didn't hack uh, to show. He did it to get some air. I mean, when he'd double over, he'd just get to preaching all over. I was just a 16, 17-year-old boy sitting on the front pew. And boy, I'm going to tell you, I got a taste of it, and I loved it. 
It blessed my soul because he was preaching about the Lord Jesus and the second coming. And, and uh, our hearts were kindred in that sermon. And somehow, though I was so young and he was so old, we were pulled together because of the faith. And don't you thank God, not only for those that God has placed in our lives, those that have had the influence upon us and those that have been a blessing to us as as friendly props, but we thank God for those that are saintly props that we can rest on in our lives. Where would you be tonight if it hadn't been for the church? And where would you be if it hadn't been for the saints that had went on before, that had left behind the great truths that uh, are a part of our lives? So, he has a friendly prop, and he also has a saintly prop. God gives David these props to lean on. But then I want you to notice in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 1 and 2. David, therefore, 1 Samuel 22, verse 1 and 2, departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. When his brethren and all of his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. Everyone that was in distress, everyone that was in debt, everyone that was just, it sounds like the church I pastored, <laughs> gathered themselves unto him. He became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Now, you have to understand that David's running from Saul, and Saul is king. He has the army behind him, and David is all alone in all of these places that he's having to run. And he's having to watch out for Saul by himself. But then the Lord works it out to these 400 men come now, and they have, they have joined in with David, and now he can rest a little bit, and he can feel a little bit of confidence and a little bit of safety and security because now he has 400 men uh, in those mountainous sections that can watch out for him and could stand on guard. He has, he has what we call safety props for confidence. And when we think of Jonathan, we think about the family of God. When we uh, think about uh, Samuel, we think about those older saints that have helped us. But when we think about these men of war, I, I think of them in the areas of which God has physically blessed us and he has materially blessed us and he has given us what we need to provide in the, in the earthly realm and we find great security in that. Thank God that I'm healthy enough to preach tonight. I don't know what would happen if tomorrow I was taken down with a disease and, and I would not be able to preach again. There would be a great measure of security that would be lost in that. Thank God that you have strength enough to provide for your families. That you've got uh, a, the wherewithal to, to buy a car, to own a home. Now, these are all what we might call props of confidence and security that God places in our lives. He allows us to have all of these blessings. Someone said, the Lord only gives you what you need, not what you want. I said, well, if that's true, let me get a tractor and trailer. I'll back up to your house, and I'll only take what you don't need. And I'm sure that I would leave with probably 75% of everything you own. God has blessed us, hasn't he? Bountifully. And God, I'm saying, has put these props in David's life, as I mentioned these three. But you might want to meditate for a moment about the great props, the great blessings, both spiritually and physically, 
that God Almighty, I'm not talking about bad props. I'm not talking about the devil. I'm talking about how God gives us these things to lean on in our time of faith, and we rest in them. Thank God for a wonderful wife. Thank God for a wonderful husband. Thank God for a wonderful church. Thank God for a wonderful preacher. Thank God for the saints. Thank God for your house, for your job. I'm talking about these are things that God has placed in your life that we ought to be so thankful for. He has props to lean on, and don't we all have them? Things that we would hate to think that we'd have to live a day without. We have these props. But now the second thing I want to point out to you is what I call the leaning pains. How that God places these props in David's life and then he follows suit after that within a period of time and he begins to one by one take these props out of his life. Now that seems so cruel, harsh. But isn't that true in the physical realm? You bring that little baby home from the hospital and the first thing you do is buy a pacifier, a prop to satisfy that child during the night hours or times when you, you don't have time to give it a, a bottle or it just can't drink but so much. So you give the pacifier, don't you? Haven't you? <laughs> now look at me like you know what you're talk I'm talking about. <laughs> you take that little boy home, I'll tell you, and he grows, and, and then you want him to ride a bicycle. He wants a bicycle, but you go and buy a bicycle, and you put training wheels on him so that he will hold him up as he rides and as he learns to ride. The security blanket that the little child pulls around with them constantly. These are props that we, we put in the lives of our children. And then lo and behold, after they get so old, what do we do? We cruelly, coldly say, that's enough of that pacifier. I'm taking it. Of course, you know, after 17, 18 years old, they a little <laughs> bit beyond that. You say to Johnny, hey, look, son, you're going to have to learn to ride without the training wheels now. And so you go out and you take them off, and then you just push him down the driveway. After two or three wrecks, he learns how to ride. We begin to take those things away. I remember my youngest son, he used to suck two, two fingers on one hand. That was cute. But then after he got up, old enough to start school, and, and uh, his mama said to him, now, son, you're going to have to quit doing that. Now, you either stop on your own, or I'm going to tape your fingers up. Of course, he didn't have the strength to stop that habit, and so he kept on. And so then she took him aside, and she began to meticulously tape the fingers up. She almost had it finished, and he started laughing, snickering. She thought he was going to cry, and she said, son, why are you laughing? He said, cause, mama, you taped up the wrong hand. <laughs> it is a cruel thing how that happens. How God puts people in our lives. He puts things in our lives. He puts so much in our lives, but then daily as we move on in the Lord, he begins to take away the things he placed there. 
And if time lasts, he'll eventually take every prop that he has ever put in your life. I'm talking about learning to lean. It's a giant step because it has pain in it. There are leaning pains in it. The pastors talk about me pastoring 18 years there in the mountains at Temple Baptist Church. I'll tell you, it was my prop. It supplied all of my needs. Then the Lord came to me one day and said, that's enough. You're going to have to trust me. I said, but Lord, how can I do that? I thought about making me a sign. Put on it, we'll preach for food. I was just afraid. I just couldn't trust the Lord to step out like that. I mean, they supplied a car. They supplied a house. They provided my insurance. They did all of that. And he said, I want you to leave all of that. Oh, listen, that was all. And not only that, I loved them. They loved me. It was just like God was jerking the heart out of me. I didn't want to do it. And I'd heard that if you didn't want to do something, the Lord wouldn't make you. Don't believe that. (laughs) No. It hurts. It hurts. It truly hurts when God takes things out of your life that he has put there. And he does. I notice in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 25 and verse 1. The first prop leaves David's life. The Bible said, and Samuel died. And all of the Israelites were gathered together and lamented him, buried him in his house in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. It's almost as if he wants to be alone. Why? You can tell his heart has to be broken. The one who poured the oil on him, the one that counseled him, the one that he could get great guidance from would no longer be there. And he could never go to Samuel again and sit down and say, Samuel, this is what's transpiring in my life. Would you help me? Give me some direction. He was not there to give direction. He was gone and forever gone as far as this world was concerned. A great prop gone in his life. Many of us have experienced that. Many of you have as far as a mother or father that so long uh, instructed you and helped you and you could go to them and find, I'll tell you, some counsel, but they're not there anymore. How many times have I wept as great preachers who have impacted my life have passed off the scene and I realized they were gone, but yet they meant so much. What a pain. Look in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 25 and 26. David is at a funeral. He's giving the eulogy here. His heart is sorely broken. And he says, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle, old Jonathan? Thou wast slain in thy high places. I am distressed for thee, my brother Jonathan. Very pleasant hast thou been unto me. Thy love to me was more wonderful, passing the love of a woman. The closest person on earth to his life was Jonathan, and now Jonathan is gone. And his friendly companion would never be that he could go and find somebody to talk to, someone his age to share with concerning the burdens of his heart, someone that he could pour out his soul to, and someone that would care was gone. And you can sense the bleeding of David's heart as he realizes he's gone. 
prop. Samuel's gone. The prop Jonathan is gone. And then we'll not take time to read it, but in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1 and 2, even the army turns against him. And it seems as though that all the props that David had ever leaned on that God gave him was taken away. It was gone. Leaning props came to leaning pains. Brothers and sisters, doesn't it hurt when things change? We don't like it. We love the shelter of experiencing things as they are today and somehow we wish they would remain that way. But they never remain intact. Things change and it hurts. But it leads me to my last thought. Not only do we notice the leaning props and the leaning pains, but I want you to notice just for a moment the leaning principles. Why does this happen? God giving and then God taking away. Well, I think there are, there are two things that we can learn in the principles of, of this thing of learning to lean. I think the first thing that we can learn is the limitations of our props. Props are not eternal. The things that you possess, the things that you can see, everything that you can see and touch is limited in time. It can only last so long. It will never be forever. That house, that car, that whatever you possess, even the relationships that you have are limited. Jonathan would have went as far with David as he could have gone, but he could only go so far. Samuel would have counseled David as long as he could, and he did, but he could only go so far. And then the prop was gone because, again, it is not eternal. They are limited. Things change. The reason that it hurts us so much is because we want them, as I say, to remain the same. But nothing, what you see here tonight, will never be again just like it is. And only God knows the trauma of what could change by this time tomorrow, how we ought to praise him for the things that are now because they may not be tomorrow. Let us never take our props and our blessings for granted. They may not be here tomorrow. These props are limited in themselves. But you know, they, these props limit us. They limit us. The training wheels are all right, but there comes a time when Junior is just going to have to move beyond that. I mean, 21 years old riding a bicycle with training wheels is a little ridiculous. You've got to grow up. David has to grow. We all have to grow. But God knows the only way we're going to grow is he's got to take the props out from under us. How strange it would be here today at my age, 32, or in a few more years, at my age, 
If I felt a little insecure in the middle of the sermon and said, excuse me, I need my pacifier, I'm just going to... She'd say, what's wrong with that preacher? Is he not grown up? You know, the children slipping into the bedroom and getting in the bed at night because they're scared is all right. But I mean, you know, the, the kid now's you know, way up in age. He, he just, he's going to sleep in his own bedroom. He's got to move beyond that. You understand what I'm saying? And God, you see, so many times the props that are limited will limit us from moving on with the Lord. And the only way we're going to find out how good and gracious God is and the only way we're going to learn is God has to take the limitations out of the way. I would have never known and I would have never believed that God could take a man and a wife and four young'uns, lead them into evangelism and supply all of their needs if I hadn't moved beyond the church. There is something beyond our props. Something beyond that which seems to hold us up. They, in fact, limit us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us. Limitations. But you know, I would close. I'm talking about the leaning principles. We not only see the limitations, but I want you to notice with me the Lord of David's props. Look, if you will, in chapter 2, verse 1 of 2 Samuel. The Bible said, and it came to pass, notice this, after Jonathan had died, after Samuel had died, and it came to pass after this that David inquired of the Lord. He had went and moved beyond his props now. And what David has found out is what God tries to teach us as we learn to lean. That it wasn't Jonathan that was preserving him after all. It wasn't Samuel that was saving him after all. But he found out after they were gone that the Lord had been there all the time. And the glorious thing is, is beyond our props, no matter what they are, we will find out the Lord has been our strength all the time. He has been our prop. He is the one that is holding up the prop that holds us up. He was there all the time. And no matter what you experience, what you go through, honey, I want you to know beyond that experience, the Lord will be there. When they jerked Joseph up by the roots and sold him into Egypt, the Bible said, but the Lord was with him. When they put him in prison, the Bible said, but the Lord was with him. And while they could take Jonathan and while they could take Samuel and while men of war could change their mind, the Lord was always with David. And he said, he is my shepherd. You know, when I pastored, I did uh, some wallpapering and painting from time to time. And... Uh, I had some ladders. I had a 30-foot extension ladder that my wife would always tell me when I got it out. She'd say, honey, one of these days you'll get killed on that thing. It didn't look too sturdy. It had been run over by a vehicle. <laughs> and, uh, but we were doing some work around the church, and I had it out on the front of the church, the eave there, the facer board. I had extended as far, really, 
If it had been a good ladder, it shouldn't have been extended that far. And I climbed all the way to the top, and I was stretching out as far as I could. And about that time, I felt something give. I looked down, and the runner on the right side had come completely apart all the way down to a V, and there was only an inch holding it together. Sweat popped out. I knew in any second if it gave loose, it would just, it would twirl to the ground. And I stopped and I prayed. I said, Lord, I trusted a lot of ladders in my days. But I got sense enough to know if I get to the ground without getting hurt, you're going to have to do it. And I slowly worked my way down the ladder, got to the ground, pitched it over backwards, it come apart, and I said, Lord, I'll never put it together again. But you know what I learned from that experience? It wasn't those ladders that held me up all that time. It was the Lord that was holding me up all the time. It is the Lord that is our sufficiency. But he wants us to know that. And the only way he can show us that is at times he has to take the props away so we can find him sufficient. Thomas Dorsey wrote a great song. His wife was in childbearing and she died the child was born. Two days later, he had to take the child out and bury the child also. And after whatever one had cleared away, he stood there by that graveside and he said, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on. Let me stand. You know I'm weak. I'm weary. And I'm so worn. But when the props are gone, can I say to you, children of God, the Lord will always be there. He wants you to know that he is sufficient to take care of. Can I say to you in closing tonight, take thought of the blessings that are in your life. This church, oh, this church, and the spirit that we felt here today. Your pastor, his family. One another. That precious wife that sits beside you. That husband. Those children. The possessions that God has given you. Stop and say, thank you, God, that things are as they are today. They may not be tomorrow. And if you haven't in a while, you might ought to take time if some of your props are still around to make way to them this week and say, I sure appreciate the Lord putting you in my life. Let's stand about our head. Lord Jesus, I do want to thank you for those precious people saints 
that have made my life what it is. I praise you for them. I thank you, Lord, for the greatest prop you ever gave me, being here tonight, my wife. What this world would be without her. I just want to thank you for the props. But then I want to thank you, Lord, that when some of my props have been taken away, I found out you were there all the time. Bless and speak to hearts in thy name. And ask an elderly lady one day, I said, Sister, her husband had passed away. How is it living by yourself? She hurriedly rebuked me. She said, Young man, I don't live by myself. The Lord is with me. As we sing, God has spoken to your heart. You come. You may just want to come and thank God for the things that he's put into your life. Maybe he's pulled some of those things out, teaching you to lean. You may just want to come and just trust him and lean on him. As Rick leads us, you come. God has spoke to your heart. Get up out of your seat and come. Amen. Take my hand. Yes. Lead me on. Let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. Amen. I am old. Yes, be obedient to the Lord. Amen. Yes. Amen. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. Amen. Others, spill be it to the Lord. Yes. Amen. Precious Lord, please linger here. Amen. When my life is almost gone. Amen. Oh, hear my cry, hear my call. Others. Yes. Amen. Take my hand. Yes. Precious Lord, and lead me home. Amen. Praise his name. Yes. And the day. Yes. Amen. Amen. The river, the river right there. Amen. Yes.
Amen. While these are praying, Sister Myrna, won't you come? I'll hand you a mic. been praying for Myrna. We're going to pray for her here in a few moments. So she will share with you something tonight. And then we'll sing another stanza in a minute, Robert. Myrna, share with us what's on your heart there. Well, it's it's very hard for me to do this. Most of you all Rhonda. know me as running around all over the place and doing all Amen. kinds of things. And this makes me, what I'm to do tonight, makes me very vulnerable to you because a lot of you think I have a sore foot or a sore knee and you're always asking how it is. But the truth of the matter is, it's, um, I rescued a child from an escalator in 1993 and ripped my back out. And they had to after a year and a half. And I can't take time to tell you how God orchestrated my life and wound me up in Richmond, Virginia under the chief of neurosurgery whom I had never heard of before. And he operated and took my entire lumbar spine out. There's titanium there now. And now they think they need to go back in and take that out because there are other joints gone. Well, a few weeks ago, I guess it's two or three months ago, I became so discouraged. Arlen would come to church on Wednesday night and I would just pray. And that night I just went into the bathroom and I said, God, I can't stand it any longer. I just can't stand it any longer. The pain is just too great. And I said, Lord, if you just won't touch me, then do something for me. I can't stand it any longer. Well, I didn't feel any relief from my pain. Since 93, I've never lived a moment without pain. Uh, that's my constant companion. But that night, God said to me while I was praying in that bathroom, He said, Myrna, this is a gift. It's a gift for you to bear in victory, not in defeat. And that gave me complete victory Amen. that God would choose me and allow me to bear the name of Christ and uphold his name in spite of all the problems and the pain. There are a lot of you here tonight who could relate to that. Well, I, went, I asked the preacher, I called the preacher and asked him just before I was to go to Virginia to see my surgeon. They were going to insert a, a, a pain pack or something of morphine but they said it wouldn't work for me and I called the preacher and I said preacher do you agree with me and preacher will you turn to James 5 if you can't quote those verses for me and read them I asked him I said preacher I want to talk to you about James 5 I know that we quote it all the time where it says if any be sick among you let him call for the elders of the church to pray for you and I've met with the deacons over there many times, but I said, you know, preacher, we put them on the spot. They don't know what they're coming to pray about. They just are coming to pray even. And I said, preacher, read on in that where it says, and preacher, I want you to read 14 through 16 for me, will you? 
Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Confess your faults one to another, and pray one for another that you may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. My plea to you tonight is this. If, if you have faith, and if you have a pure and a clean heart, would you go to God for me? Amen. If there's anything in your heart, if you have any giants as the preacher preached this morning, would you just get rid of them tonight in my behalf? I right now face surgery on my eye on September the 11th. I'm blind in my left eye. I have a corneal transplant. I've had it over a year, but stitches are still in, but it's now gone blind. And it's going to be operated on the September the 11th unless God intervenes. My right eye is nearly blind, and I will get a new cornea for it sometime. I have the back problems, which is tremendous. Folks, I just want to know what God wants for me. Amen. I want to know what he wants for me. And tonight, I'm so desperate to know what God wants. So desperate. I love him. I love him with all my heart. Preacher came after that and prayed for me. I couldn't come to church when the church was to anoint me that night. And Arlen came home and he said, Myrna, the church prayed tonight. Preacher led in prayer. Well, at 3 o'clock, I got up and got more pain pills. And I said, it didn't work. I woke up at 6 o'clock and fixed my breakfast, which I haven't done in so long. I was downstairs on the couch. I fixed my breakfast. I found myself washing dishes. And then it dawned on me, hey, girl, you're not in any pain at all. <laughs> And I said, it did work, preacher, thank you, it did work. But I want to tell you what it did more than that. As the day went on, my pain came back. But I'm going to tell you what God gave me through that prayer you all prayed. You don't believe in prayer, you better start believing. Because God, every one of you that's Amen. talked to me today has said, you look so different, you look so wonderful, you look so good, you look like you feel good. You know what it is, it's the joy of the Lord. Because that's what he gave me the night this church prayed for me. I'm, I'm just, oh, I'm just bubbling over with the joy of the Lord. Amen. And the pain is, is you know, non-consequential. If, if God leaves it, he'll leave it, but he'll give me grace. Sure. So tonight, preacher, I'll just leave it with you. But folks, please pray about what you're supposed to do. You know, it's, it's so desperate. When you pray for a person interceding, it needs to be with a clean hands and pure heart. And this would be a good time to get the giants out of our lives, wouldn't it? Amen.